judge will order him to give that sample. The police made it clear Heerman has not yet been linked or charged in connection with Vergata's death. The Mega Million drawing is now the Mega Billion drawing. Tonight's massive jackpot has climbed to more than $1.35 billion. It marks the second largest Mega Millions jackpot ever and the fourth largest in U.S. lottery history. If you plan on buying a ticket, good luck. I'm Nick Smith in today for Nicole Burley. That's all for News Nation Now. Here's a look at our primetime lineup. But first, The Hill starts right now. It's like I work in Tonight, sharpening the attack on Florida Governor, by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as he undercuts his political rival's claims of a stolen election in 2020. Now, DeSantis is hitting Trump where it hurts. Plus, one fine mess. More questions over Senator Dianne Feinstein's ability to serve as her daughter steps in to manage her legal affairs, even as the senator remains in office. And biological warfare in our backyard? Why one China expert believes Beijing is executing a plan to exterminate Americans. All that and more is just ahead on The Hill on News Nation, and it starts right now. And welcome to The Hill on News Nation. I am Mike Vaccara, and we have a great panel with us tonight. Rena Shaw is a Republican strategist and former congressional senior aide. Michael Starr Hopkins is CEO of North Star Strategies and a former presidential campaign spokesman. Carrie Sheffield, conservative commentator and senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. And Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former advisor to the House Oversight Committee. But we start tonight with some major news from the campaign trail. Ron DeSantis, he's trying to make headway against a Republican frontrunner, Donald Trump. He's now saying Trump's claims that the 2020 election were stolen, they're not true. DeSantis made the comment while campaigning where else this afternoon in Iowa. Have a listen. I've said many times, uh, the election is what it is. All those theories that were put out did not prove to be true. It was not an election that was conducted the way I think we want to, but that's different than saying, like, Maduro stole votes or something like that. And I think those theories, you know, proved to be unsubstantiated. Okay, that was a reference to the Venezuelan leader, Nicolas Maduro. Remember that? All right, let's bring in uh, Julia Manchester, national political reporter for our namesake, The Hill. Julia, claims of a rigged election have been an article of faith for many Republicans uh, ever since the election three years ago. So why is DeSantis changing the script now? Yeah, Mike, this comes as DeSantis is really trying to change the script with much of his campaign as his campaign really tries to reset after a rocky launch and really failing to gain traction against former President Trump. So I think we're seeing some experimenting here. Now, earlier this week, I chatted with a number of Republicans who really wanted to see more of the Republican candidates running, those candidates not named Trump, I should say, really start to go after Trump, um, you know, really start to take off the gloves and go on the offensive against Trump ahead of the debate later this month. And I think with DeSantis, that's what you're really starting to see. DeSantis has walked a very fine line in terms of of not criticizing Trump, but at the same time trying to differentiate himself. So I think that's what you're seeing there. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it still appears that the majority of Republicans still believe that the 2020 election was rigged. We have a a poll up here, Republicans on the 2020 election, 69 percent think Biden did not legitimately win the election. Only 29% think he actually did win. 
So what is DeSantis? I mean, is he simply giving up trying to corner the MAGA market here or at least take a portion of the MAGA market and he's trying to find a different path? I don't think he's necessarily trying to give up on the MAGA market because remember, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump share a base in many ways. I think you'd find a lot of Republicans who are supporting Donald Trump but would say, you know, Ron DeSantis, we, we see a bright future for him. We like him as a governor. You'd particularly find that in Florida. However, I think what you're trying, you're seeing with Ron DeSantis is that he might be trying to expand his base, maybe look at more moderate Republicans that are in a state like New Hampshire, for example, even though we know he made these comments in Iowa. So he's looking for the more moderate Republican base here, um, you know, and also looking towards independent voters. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of competition for moderate Republicans. The question is, how many of them are there out there? Okay. Julia Manchester, thank you very much. Meanwhile, the aforementioned former President Trump is expected to get a warm reception tonight when he speaks at a fundraiser for the Alabama Republican Party. Let's go to News Nation's Robert Sherman. He's in Montgomery, Alabama with the latest. Robert, we, I saw you yesterday outside of a courthouse not far from here following President Trump. And now look at you in the Yellowhammer State. What's going on down there? Yeah, it is pretty amazing, Mike, that just one day removed from the former president being in that federal courthouse for his arraignment, he now shifts his focus back to going on offense, and he returns his focus to the campaign trail. At you look at the nationwide picture here in pursuit of the GOP nomination, former president in strong position. You look at these poll numbers, big leads over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, now polling at less than 20 percent. In third is Vivek Ramaswamy. He's kind of leading that distant pack all the way down there. But now the focus shifts to the state of Alabama. And this is a state that has been very good to the former president. Also a key Super Tuesday state. We really haven't seen too much of a focus on there. And just today, he picked up some endorsements from nearly the entire congressional delegation from the state of Alabama. So he has some momentum going into tonight. We've been talking to voters on the ground here who say that they believe this is Trump country and they want him to focus on the issues tonight. I hope I hear from him that um, our economy is going to come back. We're going to start controlling the border and that our, um, we'll have our troops and our military will be better reinforced than they have been. It's tough when kids are about to go back to school, hardworking families, mothers and fathers are having to do without so much just to uh, pay the power bill and put food on the table. So already we're starting to see these Super Tuesday states come into the conversation. No other Republican candidate has really focused on them except for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's been to North Carolina, Tennessee and Oklahoma. Just about all the other candidates have been focusing on the early states, namely Iowa and New Hampshire, putting all their eggs into those baskets. But as you see, looking at the polls, Mike, former president with commanding leads just about everywhere. Mike. Okay, Robert Sherman, great luck. Good luck tonight. We'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to go to you first, Michael, because you've been on a presidential campaign trail. The president is a deep red Alabama. Is he there for Super Tuesday or is he there to rake in some cash? I mean, he's there to rake in cash, given what's going on with the indictments and his legal uh, circumstances, we'll yeah. say. Uh, but he's also there to shore up support. Look, Ron DeSantis has run 
I think one of the worst campaigns we have ever seen in yeah. presidential history. And that says a lot because he was a successful governor in terms of polling numbers, in terms of uh, his last two runs. Yeah. And he manages to now limp yeah. uh, into what could be him not even being viable in Iowa. You know, I spent some time down at the courthouse with Robert yesterday. It just seems like more in carry, the more indictments that we get, it's almost it's incredible to say. They're almost becoming old hat. They're not like this monumental news anymore. As a matter of fact, I was reading today that Republicans outraise Democrats on days that the president is indicted. Well, yes, and, and I think it really channels the fact that tens of millions of Americans believe that there is a two-tier justice system, that there is one level of justice for people like Hunter Biden and a quite different one for Republicans. And if the tables were reversed, if you had a President Trump trying to indict and imprison Hillary Clinton, for example, or Joe Biden, people that wouldn't sit well with them. So that's really, I think, what yeah. this gets to. And you can't just dismiss it or laugh it away. Because, again, you're talking about tens of millions of people who believe this and feel this way. Well, and it was funny. It was funny because uh, these, uh, the president tried, former president tried to flip the script today. Right? He said that Jack Smith is trying to influence the election, which is exactly what Jack Smith is, is essentially accused Donald Trump of, by indicting him by making him spend all of this money that he can't spend on ads, that he can't spend on campaigning. Any validity to that? Someone's going to have to explain to me what the universe of voters that exist that didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2020, but now after January 6th, after multiple indictments, they're now looking at this, uh, at this terrain going, you know what? I got that wrong. I'm going to vote for this guy in 2024. Because uh -huh. that universe of people is really all that matters. There are tens of millions of people who agree that the president, the former president, is being persecuted. There are tens of millions of people who think that Hunter Biden is the most corrupt person on the face of the planet. All of those people that exist, we already know who they're voting for in 2024. Right. So what I want to know is how does any of this circus actually help Donald Trump and the Republican Party win the election in 2024, because absent of that strategy yeah. being actually real, yeah. all of this is just yeah, theater. Yeah, it's almost as if they're not looking at the long-term goal. Your goal is to get Joe Biden out of the White House. How are you going to do that successfully? Right now, I see a lack of strategy on Trump's part. I don't see him disciplined as much as he used to be. As, uh, uh, wait, wait a minute. He was, <laughs> when was he disciplined? He, he was pretty disciplined in terms of how he courted the voter, right? Yeah. Lately, what yes. I've been noticing is a bit of haphazard mm -hmm. behavior. And yes, Yesterday, my gosh, getting out in front of the press like that for what, 45 seconds? Yeah. That was unusual. Yes. So there's fear Talking there. Talking about all the graffiti that he saw the, on his way in, in, well, right in from the airport. Well, Arlington yeah. perhaps? Okay, yeah. we yeah. really believe you there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, even I didn't know I was going to okay. say that. Uh, so I was, I, I'll just put it this way. The vast majority of the Republican Party right now peddles in fear. Every fundraising email I got the past two days uh, is shameful. I mean, yeah. I was on the Hill, what, 12 years ago? Yeah. I would have never written a fundraising yeah, email like well, that. Yeah, time, and, and times these, certainly they, have these, changed. That's not a news flash, right? I'm going to take fear. a different tack here and say sure. Democrats are the ones focusing on January 6th. But when you actually see what voters care about, they care about the economy. They care about the fact yeah, that median household income is $5,600 Democrats got traction in the midterms talking about right, January 6th. Not really. really. No, no, no. It's like on the focused on Hunter Biden. So Rena mentioned peddling. I'm going to talk about peddling of a different sort because all of this now has okay. become an opportunity yeah. to sell merch oh, for the dear. campaign, right? Yeah, we saw yeah. uh, Mike Pence is capitalizing that with his two honest T-shirts and caps. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, because that was <laughs> the quote from the president Mike in the Pence indictment. Mike Pence found his yeah. back on all the Mugs, caps, shirts, etc. You know, it's all, uh, it's all, everything has become 
sort of an opportunity to raise money now and not a question of who's right or wrong on the issue or who's, mm -hmm. you know, who's being, who, what former president has been indicted for the first time on things that happened while he was right. president. There, but Kerry's right, though, where, like, if Republicans were doing this the right way, they would all in lockstep be talking about the economy. They would be talking about the fact that right now in the middle of summer, gas prices are actually going up again. 29 cents in the last month. So what I don't understand, though, is why the Republican majority in the House of Representatives, led by people like Jim Jordan and James Comer, are spending all of their time and energy and their majority and their gavels talking about Hunter Biden. Talking, every I mean, I know why they're doing that. I'm just saying... If they were actually doing what Kerry's talking about, which is keep the focus on the economy, because there's obviously very clear evidence amongst American people that they're uncertain about this economy. The yeah. jobs report that came in was less than people were hoping for. It's the, the weakest job creation we've had since 2020. That should be the message. As a yeah. former Republican who used to do this, that's what I would be talking yeah. about exclusively. I wouldn't be talking about Hunter yeah. Biden. I, you know, the, uh, but wages are up again. Uh, anyway, we're not going to go that yeah, far in the weeds. Okay. All right. We're going to move on. Next topic here. All right. All right. We're going to. This is a, actually a very serious topic here. Not that the election isn't in the indictment of a former president, but we're talking about a, a different kind of issue here. Uh, it's disturbing details in California about a Chinese medical facility that was illegally operating a White House inside an unsettling scene with medical waste and hazardous materials. The CDC detected at least 20 infectious diseases inside the labs, such as COVID-19, HIV, hepatitis, malaria, and herpes. The operation even housed more than 900 mice, bioengineered to carry those diseases. House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy was asked about the lab from his home state in California, and he says he's seeking more answers. Listen. What could be real concerning is what was going on in that lab what was not being reported in that lab, the funding of that lab. My concern is to get to the bottom of what happened here, but also look is where is this happening other parts of this country as well. And I'm going to take this back to the Select Committee on China uh, in dealing with it as well and working with the FBI. Okay, well, this is certainly concerning news. And joining me to discuss it is senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, Gordon Chang. Gordon, uh, you have a new piece out today on this, and you say, quote, it is from locations like this one where China will fire the first shot in the next war. What do you mean by that? I think that uh, if there's a war in Asia, when, and it looks increasingly probable, whether it's Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, or whatever, the first shot will not be um, the big uh, fight in Asia. It will be weeks or months before when China is spreading pathogens around the United States to weaken our ability to respond to what happens in Asia. So in other words, this is sort of a bioweapon. Um, and this is an indication. And uh, apparently this facility was owned by a Chinese concern, uh, this, uh, this facility in Reedley, California, outside of Fresno. Uh, this would be an effort to weaken the United States, to soften up the United States, if you will, uh, and divert its attention as well as create a public health crisis so the United States would not be able to respond forcefully militarily against China if, for example, they were to invade Taiwan? Yes, I mean, that's exactly what I think is going on. And as Speaker McCarthy said, this is probably not the only location in the U.S. that had pathogens in an illegal covert facility. Um, we've got to be concerned that China views um, a war as something that will be fought not just in Asia, but on American soil. Um, so we have, for instance, um, Chinese coming across our southern border. Uh, you know, most of them are just desperate people who have given up on China. But among them are males of military age, 
traveling in packs of five and 15, pretending not to speak English, not accompanied by family members. Um, and some of them are known to have links with the Chinese military. And we've got to be extremely concerned that these are saboteurs that will link up with the lab in Reedley, California and other locations. All right. So and just yesterday, I mean, there's no question that China is trying to spy on the United States. I mean, that's a no brainer. China uh, is trying in many nefarious ways that we obviously don't even know about yet uh, to infiltrate the United States. Just yesterday, two military personnel uh, serving in the American military were found to be passing secrets on to the Chinese. But in terms of this kind of facility, this kind of potential bioweapon facility, uh, what should be done about it at this point? What should the United States government be doing uh, to, to make sure that there are no more of these scattered around the country? I think that we have to be looking at Chinese-owned facilities around the U.S. Every Chinese national and every Chinese entity is under a compulsion to commit espionage or sabotage under the Communist Party's top-down system. Nobody can resist a demand from the party. And we know in China right now the Communist Party not only tolerates but sometimes encourages discussions of the use of diseases against other countries. So this is consistent with the narrative inside China itself, and it's extremely disturbing. Now, of course, we don't have proof at this stage, but we need to gather it because what happened in that lab and the contents of that lab are not consistent with any benign explanations. Okay, inside your piece, there was a quote from uh, the article that you wrote. Uh, I'm sorry, this was actually something that we heard last night on Leland Vitter's show on balance about this, about this development. Let's have a listen. The fact is, we don't know uh, much about these folks. We don't know if this is a company that is sponsored by China. I certainly suspect that it is. Our country was decimated by COVID-19 from a Wuhan lab, and this seems to be a Wuhan lab 2.0 in Reedley, California. Okay, that's a council member for the, the city of Fresno. And what, what do you make of that connection, at least that rhetorical connection, between what we saw in Wuhan and the lab and the activities there and what's happening evidently uh, in, in Reedley, California. Well, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is a BSL-4 facility, is very sophisticated. And what we saw in California is described as a kamikaze lab. It was poorly maintained. Um, you know, obviously not very much in the way of scientific research was done there. But what is disturbing about the Reedley facility is it had all those different pathogens. And the explanations that the company that runs the lab, that this was they were developing pregnancy and COVID-19 tests, that's not supported when you look at the contents of that lab. Um, the contents of that lab are consistent with a facility that would be used to launch biological weapons attacks. Because as you mentioned, there were about a thousand mice there that had been genetically engineered yeah. to carry disease. So this is really, really disturbing stuff. Okay, I want to come back to uh, your article and what you wrote. We had a pull quote up there uh, a moment ago. I want to go back to that. You say the mass murder of Americans has been a popular theme in Chinese society. The Communist Party, which tightly controls discourse in the PRC, permits and even encourages incitement to kill Americans. Americans now have to assume that China's Communist Party is executing a plan to exterminate Americans. Do you really believe that? Well, yes, I do. Um, there was a secret speech of a Chinese defense minister that was released in 2005 talking about the killing of every single American. 
And um, the the, uh, the alternative was that General Chihara Town said, well, we'll leave some Americans around to be slaves. Now, when that was released, it was fantastical. Um, but what we have seen since then is China um, working very hard to develop what they call specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, attacks caused by pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune but kill everybody else. And Chinese military technicians openly talk about this. What we've seen at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, of course, is a biological weapons lab from all that we can tell, from all the things that have occurred afterwards. So uh -huh. we have to put these pieces together. Okay. Gordon Chang, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, an explosive development and certainly an explosive theory that you're putting forward. I appreciate you being with us tonight. Thank you. All right, let's bring in the panel to talk about the the China threat, I mean, exterminate Americans. Uh, th that's volatile, controversial language. Do you think it's over the top? Do you think, you think it's for real? I mean, I think we've heard a lot of extremists over the years say they want to eradicate America and everything yeah. that we stand for. So I, my, my, th my thought is, like, I'll get in line. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we would laugh at stuff like this before the evidence. I mean, the Wuhan debate is still going on, right? right? There's no conclusion, definitively about what, whether it was a lab leak, what was going on there. But there's evidence to, to, to support the, the theory that when Americans evaluated what was happening there, there were political considerations. Yeah. I, I think that's beyond question. So we would have laughed about this kind of uh, this assertion. Well, well, two major government agencies, the FBI and the, cha I believe the Chamber of uh, Commerce, uh, or the Department of Commerce, uh -huh. they've both concluded that it originated in a lab. So this is not a laughing matter. Yeah, and this with is moderate confidence yeah. or varying degrees yeah, of confidence. Yeah, and there's certainly precedent. There are other so, agencies that have not come to that conclusion. Yeah, but even going back to World War II, we can't so trust the FBI. there's um, <laughs> Unit Unit 70, 731. Unit 731 in Japan, uh, actually they moved to uh, Chinese soil. They killed an estimated 200 to 300,000 mm. Chinese citizens through bioweapons and all sorts of experiments done on Chinese nationals during World War II. What did the United States do when it came time to, you know, we had the Nuremberg trials against the Nazis? We actually looked the other way. We gave the Japanese immunity on that, and it was terrible. So there's there's all sorts of uh, historical, historical precedents for bioweapons, so it's not something yeah. to well, there's, there's no question about this. I think very one quickly. Of the, one of the biggest things, uh, the biggest mistakes that was made during COVID by the Trump administration was politicizing the, uh, you know, Chinese connection, well, making, it, right. making it difficult to have that conversation because now it threatens our national security. Like viruses the exactly. whole year wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the balance yeah. we have to make in society. How do we not become xenophobic, get, get serious about th this lab in California? The trouble is the scientific community partly has itself to blame because there was political considerations in some of the, but, their calculations and we found that behind this, the scenes. This lab found in California, I don't think authorities are taking action okay. fast enough. They need right. to investigate. Okay, we gotta go. We will be right back to the news on News Nation just after this. Presidential candidates going abroad, they, they basically want to project, hey, I could be the next commander in chief one day. What, what's different this time around, though, is that Ukraine has become a destination for these candidates. For example, we saw uh, Mike Pence in that country at the end of June, and here we are in the beginning of August, and there you see the video there, Chris Christie meeting with Vladimir Zelensky earlier today. Uh, they, they met in Kiev, as you can see there. He also went to two different uh, towns outside of Kiev as well. The, the issue here, though, is further support as it relates to 
American backing and, and what people think about this, how much the U.S. should support Ukraine going forward. I want you to take a look at these brand new numbers that came out today, some new polling. It shows that only 45 percent of the American public believes that Congress should authorize additional funds for Ukraine. Fifty five percent believe that should not happen. And when you drill down even further here, Vic, uh, along party lines, it is very clear where Republicans stand. Only 28 percent of Republicans say funding should continue, while roughly seven in 10 Republicans say it should not. And you could see how they stack up compared to independents and Democrats. Chris Christie took that head on while meeting with Zelensky earlier today. Watch. There will always be political arguments in America, as you know, as there are everywhere. Um, but I believe that the overwhelming majority of the American people um, understand that we need to be with Ukraine on this fight. But there are political arguments. And I want us who support you to win those political arguments, um, because that means the support will be better, faster and more significant. So you mentioned, Christy, what one percent. What about the others uh, at the top of the race, Vic? Uh, Over here at the White House, President Biden and his administration continue to show support and reassurances for Ukraine on the other side of the aisle. Donald Trump, he has a a bit of a new stance now saying that Congress should only authorize funding for Ukraine if the Biden administration cooperates with the House Republican investigations into the Biden family. Huh. Okay. Thank you very much, Blake. Fascinating, Rena, to see the softening of support and a real split in the Republican Party, which is only getting wider. I wouldn't say they're softening of support for Ukraine in the Republican Party. I think it's pretty much stayed the same since the beginning Uh of the invasion. Not much has changed. This is an interesting use of candidate Chris Christie's time, because given how many in the GOP caucus, in the House especially, cry out, hey, we're issuing a blank check to Ukraine. This is the sense for me. I'm a very much a pro-democracy voter, so Uh I care about you know, not just screaming, help Ukraine. I care about talking about why it's important. Why is it important to have Ukraine's back, fund them, give them what they need to win against this aggression of Vladimir Putin. But um, look, what I do here wins out this line of messaging that wins with my Republican friends and their parents is that we've got tax and spend Democrats holding the White House, leading the Senate, and they are the people that essentially want to continue Uh issuing this blank check to Ukraine. All right, $43 billion the United States has given to military aid so far, and about 80 billion overall in humanitarian aid uh, put it all together okay moving on we're going to come up now on the power of attorney a new move by senator diane feinstein raising more questions about her ability to serve we'll talk about that next it funds priorities submitted yeah just say i okay just Aye. Thank you. Uh, That was Senator Dianne Feinstein last month when she was told to say aye by a fellow Democrat at a committee meeting. She was trying to give a speech instead of simply voting. Now new reports that Feinstein has given power of attorney to her daughter as the senator faces legal battles over her late husband's trust. And joining us now to discuss this is Benjamin Oreskes, political reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Also with us, our friend Johanna Masca, News Nation contributor and CEO of the Global Situation Room. Okay, first to you, Benjamin. When we hear about people giving power of attorney, elderly people giving power of attorney to their children, it means basically one thing to most of us, that they are having problems keeping up mentally with their mental acuity. What's the case here? 
That is certainly one possibility. Uh, you know, we reported last month uh, that uh, Senator Feinstein has uh, sort of filed several lawsuits in California and San Francisco to help wrest control over certain parts of her late husband's estate from her stepkids. Uh, and those lawsuits were filed by her daughter, who happens to be a lawyer and has power of attorney over her. You know, I spoke to several uh, like estate lawyers who are not involved in this uh, litigation who said, yes, it could mean uh, that she's incapacitated and can't make these decisions. Uh, and given the reporting and videos and, uh, you know, photos we've all seen, that that certainly is a possibility. But but there are other reasons to do this. Uh, you know, she needs to be in California to do some of this uh, litigating. She's in D.C. Yeah. Um, and, and not all power of attorney is a complete control over all assets. Uh, there are limited powers of attorney. Uh, there are ones that kind of go into effect and then sunset. Uh, again, her office uh, wouldn't talk about this. So there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered because they won't talk about it. Yeah, and you were one of the first to, to report about some of her health challenges, uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct, Benjamin. What is the status now, as you understand it, about how she's doing and her fre- the frequency? After all, she's not running for re-election. There's an election year coming up. There's not going to be a lot of days the Senate is in. Uh, do you expect her to be here in Washington for a significant amount of time? Or, or you know, what's the feeling there? So just to remind your listeners, she was... Uh, absent for several months because of a case of shingles uh, that had sort of pretty severe side effects, something called encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain. Uh, she was absent sort of until about mid-May, starting in February. Uh, and then she returned to Washington. Uh, she was very frail. She was struggling to walk. She used a wheelchair. And she also sort of had trouble kind of doing the work of a senator. Uh, he didn't appear to realize that she had been gone in one interview that I had with her. Yeah. Um, I would also say that her health improved. She started to look better, look more vi- vital, more vibrant. Um, she's, she has now returned to California during the summer recess, so they'll be out of session until, I think, September. Um, but to your point, she is not doing what normal senators do, which is lots of public events, public appearances. Just this week in San Francisco, she missed another one, something that she always goes to. So you are right to say that she is uh, being a senator different than, say, uh, her yeah. counterpart, Alex Padilla. Uh, and it is a reflection of how old she is and how diminished she is right now. Yeah. OK, Johanna, let's turn to you now. How are California yeah. Democrats approaching this? It's been it's been a sensitive issue among them. Obviously, she, there are three people that I'm off the top of my head sitting members of Congress in the Democratic Party from California who are going to be running for that seat. Uh, are people willing to wait till next year or is there some sort of groundswell to have her leave office early? Establishment Democrats are willing to wait. But look, the people in California are frustrated. I just got texted yesterday that Gen Z is evidently calling Congress tax-funded hospice. And they're trying to figure out, you know, if you're if you have to have a power of attorney, then you're not using your power for the California voters. And I've said this time and time again, but we've got one out of 8 Americans living in the state of California. Our average age is around 35. And so, you know, her daughter, who has power of attorney, is almost twice that. And so it's out of step with Californians. Now, whether they will use their power and, you know, call out this 
uh, issue and their frustration for it is another question. But a lot of Californians are saying, if we're paying for our health care, why are you sitting there in Congress? Why are you sitting there in the Senate, the most powerful body, and doing nothing for us? So that's why you have some other Democrats who are more willing to call out their own party, like Ro Khanna, calling out. And, you know, people have said, he wants Barbara Lee in that Senate seat. I think he just wants a change in leadership, younger leadership. Yeah, would, I mean, assuming, and I don't want to speculate too much, but I know that there's talk that if she were to resign before her term is up in January of 2025 and a new Congress is sworn in after the elections in November of 24, uh, obviously the rules of the Senate, the rules of California would mean that the governor, Gavin Newsom, would, would, would replace her uh, at least temporarily. Uh, is there any thought to who that might be? And I'm sure he would be reluctant to give one of those candidates a head start by appointing them to that seat. Well, and Gavin is nothing if not like a political animal. And he doesn't yeah. want this on his watch because he's already said he would give that seat to a black woman. And there are three people running for the Senate seat. Of course, one of them is a black woman. Uh, if he appoints Barbara Lee in that seat, then she has a head, uh, you know, head start on her competition, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff. And Adam Schiff, of course, has been endorsed by right. uh, none other than Nancy Pelosi, who, though it's distance relationship, is a relation of Gavin Newsom. So it's all interesting and in the family. And this is what's so sick, right? California is so expensive to run in that we end up with a lot of nepotism and a lot of people yeah. who hold their power forever instead of the people having a voice. And so that's what you're beginning to see with the Rokanas and the, the others speaking out against it. Okay, we'll be watching from here in Washington and I'm sure throughout California about how this unfolds. Johanna Masca and Benjamin Oreskes, thank you very much for joining us. Okay, coming up, today's top story on the Hill, a monumental UFO scandal is looming. We'll talk to the author of that article coming up next. Drive Time has a big announcement. An even easier way to buy a car. You make the deal yourself. I make the deal myself. It lets you customize the real down payment and monthly payment of the car you want to buy. It's the Drive Time Real Deal Maker. Get the real deal at drivetime.com. When a cyber thief transfers the title of your home out of your name, it's a race against time to stop the theft of your hard-earned equity. So when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? Find out if you're already a victim at hometitlelock.com. Tonight on News Nation, will former President Trump's indictment help him politically? And is it a good idea to have non-citizens serve as police officers? Dan is a stacked panel to discuss. Journalist Scotty Mel Hughes, political contributor Chris Hahn, and News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas. Tonight on Dan Abrams Live. Welcome back. There is an effort on Capitol Hill to establish a select committee to investigate the extraordinary claims about unidentified flying objects. Merrick von Remenkamp's opinion piece, published today in The Hill, is titled, A Monumental UFO Scandal is Looming. And it's been The Hill's top story today. So as we continue News Nation's groundbreaking coverage of the UFO phenomenon, 
Merrick joins us now live. Merrick, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you wrote today that there's one of two options here that's going on from the U.S. government. A decades-long cover-up or a staggeringly brazen psychological disinformation campaign. So my question to you is, what's to be gained in either scenario by the U.S. government? Why would they do that? So it's a really good question, uh, Mike, and thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and I think, I, you know, I'm going to dive into the realm of speculation here, which I'm very uncomfortable doing. I'm, I'm much happier analyzing the facts as they as they exist. But from um, if you believe the whistleblower, David Grush, um, in, in scenario one, if there was, in fact, this decades long UFO retrieval and reverse engineering effort, it was um, partially born out of potentially Cold War politics, um, but also a fear um, that the ontological shock, the, the societal shock of, of revealing this information would be too much and there could potentially be um, societal unrest and political and social unrest. So that's that's one side of it. Um, if we're dealing with a, a disinformation operation, this could potentially be, and again, I'm speculating and, and um, not comfortable doing so, but this could be to potentially um, you know, fool our adversaries into believing that we could potentially have remarkable technology. Um, it could run the gamut. So, so that's that's my my speculative answer. Right. So all this got started with News Nation's exclusive interview of the former uh, Defense Intelligence or National Geospatial Agency official David Grush. He just testified before the House Oversight Committee, largely as a result of that interview that we did. Uh, and what I hear you guys, a lot of you folks saying who are experts who have looked at this for a long time is that uh, there's, there's been a cover-up. Now, I've lived in Washington for a long time. I've covered Washington. If this has been going on for decades, if foreign governments have been involved, if a uh, aviators have been involved, if citizens have been involved, how have they been able to keep it secret so long? That's the one thing that I can't get past. Mike, it's the million-dollar question, and I worked in the government previously, and I was extremely skeptical of the story when it first came out because I, from my experience, was, was in the same boat. But then I started looking back into kind of the history of the UFO story. And it turns out that there have been these rumors and leaks and deathbed confessions. They just never bubbled up to the surface. They were all they always kind of stayed underground with these UFO circles. Um, so the bottom line is, from, from my perspective, these rumors have been around for decades. They just never uh, really saw the light of day the way they are now. So in the 1970s, Carl Sagan popularized the saying, quote, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. We've heard some extraordinary claims. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but we've seen limited evidence. Now, the Tic Tac videos are unexplained. Even the Defense Department, the AARO, can't explain what those things were. Uh, but, you know, are we at the point now where most Americans, you think, do you think we've turned a corner where most Americans are going to start taking this seriously? You know, I, I think uh, we're we're getting there um, now. I'm going to point to briefly to Senator Chuck Schumer's uh, legislation, which is now passed the Senate and is now moving on to uh, negotiations with the House. And it's basically um, it's pretty extraordinary. And I don't if, I don't think much many people have, have caught on to what what is in this legislation. It, it mentions non-human intelligence two dozen times. It discusses legacy programs uh, of the sort that the whistleblower describes. It, it has a mandate for eminent, the exertion of eminent domain over any UFOs that are in the possession of private contractors. So that means the mm -hmm. government would forcibly take control of, of um, such equipment and material. Uh, and that goes for non 
human biologics as well. This is pretty extraordinary yeah. language that we see. So I think once this information filters out, when, if and when that does become law, um, I think we're going to see much more, potentially much more coverage. And I think that will open up the aperture for the, for the general public. All right. We'll see if that Congressional Select Committee is actually formed and what they're going to uncover. Obviously, News Nation is going to stay in the front of this story. Mark Van Remenkoff, thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, Thanks we're so about much. nine minutes from, oh, thank you. We're about nine minutes from Elizabeth Vargas Reports. And now we're going to bring her in to see what she has coming up tonight. Elizabeth? What's well, we're actually going to have the very latest on an interview with David Grush. He just gave a radio interview to BBC, his first interview since his testimony on Capitol Hill. So we'll We'll get the latest from him. We're also going to have a pretty fascinating story on a family that is suing the National Archives to get back a, a, a six-second snippet of eight-millimeter film that their family took during JFK's assassination. It's called the Nix film. We've all heard of the Zapruder film. But this shows the assassination from a different angle, pointing up toward the window where Lee Harvey Oswald uh, may have been and up pointing toward the grassy knoll. So uh, the family has said it's been asking for years for the return of the original film. They think that now with today's technology, it can be enhanced uh, to better show what happened. Uh, they believe that it might show that there was a flash from the grassy knoll and would signify another shooter. But they've been unable to get the original film back. So we're going to dive into that story and that lawsuit and that effort. Um, we're also going to have a United States exclusive, this never-before-seen footage in this country, of the rescue of a trainload full of prisoners uh, in Nazi Germany uh, on their way to one of the death camps in the waning months of the war. American soldiers stumble upon this train uh, near Magdeburg, Germany, and were astonished to find inside of it 2,500 Jews, men, women, children, some of them near death, all of them so grateful, profoundly grateful uh, to be rescued. These, uh, this film is just now surfacing, and already uh, we've been able to, uh, the documentarian who found it has been able to match up some of the faces, uh, the, the people, those re rescued in this footage, with the soldiers. It's, it's an incredible oh story, and you're looking at a snippet of that film right now. It's really amazing to see. Oh, wow. That sounds really fascinating, Elizabeth. Okay, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back with more. Will former President Trump's indictment help him politically? And is it a good idea to have non-citizens serve as police officers? Dan is a stacked panel to discuss. Journalist Scotty Mel Hughes, political contributor Chris Hahn, and News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, tonight on Dan Abrams Live. So among the many conventional wisdom sayings that have gone out the window in Washington over the last couple of decades, one, August is always slow, a slow news month in Washington, not true, certainly at the end of this week. So at the end of this week, we want to give our panelists a chance to give us our final thoughts. What did we miss this week? What was the big deal, Michael? I think the Republicans who are running for president need to ask themselves why they're running. Are they running to stop Trump? Are they running because they really think they're going to be president? Are they running so that they can have a TV show or something later What's wrong on? with any of that? I, you know, I, just think, I think there needs to be an actual conversation. Like, Chris Christie ruined his legacy four years ago. 
and now he's trying to run again, yeah. and his window closed. Yeah, but we're What's covering him when he goes overseas. All right, who's next? <laughs> Carrie. Well, okay, so my take on the credit bond downgrade, I didn't like the report. It seemed like they were trying to single out the Republicans. You're talking about Fitch. Fitch. Yeah. And in, in disclosure, I used to work for a Fitch competitor, Moody's Investor Service, which still has oh, a AAA so. rating. So the actual threat to whether we can service our debt wasn't even a question. Not a question. So as far as their, their justification for that... Non-starter, disagree with that. Okay, they downgraded do U.S. U.S. debt. They degrade, yeah. yep, from yeah. a AAA, and right. it's the second time this has happened. I disagree with that rationale, but I do agree that we need to get entitlements under control. Okay, so all right, all right, we got to give you the wrap. Uh, keeping in time with the topic of this show, the Hill, uh, the Eric Swalwell versus Kevin McCarthy confrontation that we oh, yeah. before, I think wow. is very interesting. So if you haven't uh, followed that, so all right, it up. all right, yeah. here's the wrap. Okay, yeah. all right, thanks. Sorry, Rena, thanks for watching the Hill <laughs> on News Nation. We will be back Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Elizabeth Vargas yeah. reports starts right now. Tonight, another deadly twist in the Gilgo Beach serial murder case. Police identifying a woman's remains, parts of which were found on Gilgo Beach. With no clear connection to alleged murderer Rex Hewerman, is it only a matter of time before police make one? Or is it a sign of another serial killer at the shore? Also,